scripture reading today, Colossians 3, verses 18 through 21. Wives, submit to your own husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. It's a blessing to be together. We're thankful for the opportunity that we have to be with each and every one of you this morning, to be able to worship our God and to sing songs of praise unto his name. And we're thankful that you are here. We have those who are visiting with us. We're especially glad that you have come our way. We hope that you benefit as a time of as a result of our time together this morning. In the past over the past few weeks, we have been looking at some things pertaining to the family. And last Sunday evening, we looked at the notion of wives to be submissive to their husbands. As the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Colossians in the third chapter, in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 18, he says, Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And so husbands, if you thought that was going to be all that was said and that we were only going to direct our attention to the obligations and responsibilities of wives, then you were sadly mistaken because now it's your turn in the hot seat. As the Apostle Paul then goes, husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. He also goes on, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord fathers. Do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. In these short verses pertaining to the family and the relationships within the family and the obligations and the responsibilities and roles that we each play within the family, you might notice that wives get one verse and yet men, husbands and fathers, you get two verses uh, pertaining to your obligations. You think back to just how God designs things, that God, whenever he created the world in the beginning of this world, he created and he had a design and a purpose for everything. He had a design and a plan for the church as well, that he seated Christ at the right hand of God, and that Christ is the one who is ruling and that he is, has authority and he is head of the church. The idea of headship, it comes with responsibilities. It comes with the notion of being a leader. And it's going to be the kind of leader that we're going to really touch on this morning. But he has a plan for the family as well. Children are to be obedient. Wives are to be submissive to their husbands. Parents with an importance of fathers are to be involved with disciplining their children. And husbands are the head of the wife and the head of the family. And so it should be no surprise to us that within God's design, whether we're talking about the world or the church or the family, that God knows precisely what he is doing. And there are some statistics that I think bear this out that I think are just interesting to note. If you would think about fatherhood and adult children, 
And there are some statistics that have been done by uh, Promise Keepers and Baptist Press. Uh, and so this is looking at denominations uh, as a whole and that kind of thing. But the numbers are interesting. That if a father does not go to church, even if his wife does, only one in 50 of those children will become a regular worshiper as they grow up and become adults. If a father does go to church regularly, regardless of what the mother does, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will attend church as adults. I think that is interesting right there that should suffice to say that there is evidence right here that what you do as a father is going to have a bearing on your children and what they do as adults. If a father attends church irregularly, but still attends, like he's, he comes sometimes, sometimes he doesn't. If he's irregular in his attendance, between half and two-thirds of their kids will attend church with some regularity as adults. So it's still a lot better than if the father doesn't come to church at all. If a mother does not go to church, but a father does, a minimum of two-thirds of their children will end up attending church as adult children. So if you think it's all about what a mother does, the stats don't bear that out. If a father does not go to church, but the mother does, on average two-thirds of their children will not attend church church when both parents attend Bible study in addition to the Sunday service 72% of their children attend Sunday school when they are grown and when only the father attends Sunday school 55% of the children attend when grown when only the mother attends Sunday school 15% of the children attend when grown you see quite the disparity between that. And when neither parent attends Sunday school, only 6% of the children attend when grown. There is a direct correlation, I think you could say, between fatherhood and fathers who are involved with the church and with attending services and being at Bible study and being at Bible classes and what their children will grow up to do. There is more to this study that would look at when conversions, that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there is a 3.5% probability everyone else in the household will follow. If the mother is the first to become a Christian, there is a 17% probability everyone else in the household will follow. But when the father is the first to become a Christian, there is a 93% probability everyone in the household will follow. What a father does... The kind of spiritual leadership that a father provides, the guidance and the headship, the responsibility 
fathers pronounce. That you provide the spiritual direction, fathers and husbands, for your family, for your wives, and for your children. And it's time that husbands start acting like they have a responsibility in the family. Because God, He is the one who has appointed husbands as the leader in the family. And what you see in Scripture is that God has had a plan. As we have looked at this psalm, Psalm 127. In Psalm 127, in verse 1, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. That there is a pattern, there's a direction, there's uh, God being the architect of the family, that He is the one who has designed the family in the way that He has. With purpose and with intent, and we have to be sure that we're following the blueprint and the design. Children are to obey their parents. Wives are to be submissive to their own husbands. And husbands are to be the head of their wives and the managers of the household. In Ephesians chapter 5, in Ephesians the 5th chapter, where the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. There is a responsibility that you have to be the head of your family, the head of your wife. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in 1 Timothy the third chapter, The Apostle Paul writes to Timothy about the qualifications of elders. And notice what he says here in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 4. That he must be one who manages his own household well. Keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Then... As you men are husbands and as you are fathers, you have to be able to manage the household you live in. And if you cannot do that, then there is no way that you would be able to manage and oversee the church in the role and the responsibility that comes with being an elder in the local church. And the Bible that shows us the failures of men who abdicated their position as head. In the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve first sinned, I think sometimes we are very quick to blame Eve, aren't we? Because she was the one who first sinned. She brought the fruit to her husband, Adam. And so you have this idea that she is the one who did it first. And so we have to blame her the most. But whenever it comes to what the Lord said, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 17, when God is speaking to Adam, then then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying... You shall not eat from it. Do you see what God is saying to Adam? 
He's saying, you listen to the voice of your wife, not to me. That you failed. And that, it's not saying that women give bad advice. It's not, well, in here he did give bad advice, but that's kind of immaterial. That you did not listen to the voice of the Lord. You did not listen to what I, God, said. That you abdicated. You gave up your position of headship and leadership when you should have said, no, I'm not going to do this because that is what God forbade. He did not allow us to eat of that. You didn't do that, Adam. You failed. A few chapters later in the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 16, when... Abraham and Sarah are waiting for God to fulfill His promise in giving them a son, a child. Sarah comes up with a plan that Abraham would just take her maidservant, Hagar. And notice what it says in Genesis chapter 16, in verse 2, So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. And you know what happens after that. There's all sorts of problems that come up. But Abraham, he gave in. He listened to the voice of his wife. He abdicated the position of headship and leadership even though he should have had faith in God because God told him in chapter 15 that he would have a son. You think about Ahab in the book of 1 Kings. In 1 Kings chapter 21, perhaps... Uh, a story that we have forgotten about. In 1 Kings chapter 21, when Naboth's vineyard is taken and Naboth is killed, Ahab, he tried to buy the vineyard from Naboth, but Naboth would not allow it. And so Jezebel, the wife of Ahab, comes to him. It says in verse 5, But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, How is it that your spirit is so sullen that you are not eating food? So he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else if it pleases you, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now reign over Israel? Arise, eat bread, and let your heart be joyful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So you have this moment where Ahab is feeling sorry for himself because he was turned down on this purchase of land or the exchange of land. And then Jezebel comes in and she manipulates the whole situation and has this conspiracy to put Naboth to death eventually. 
And it says in verse 15, When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to me, Ahab, king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone down to take possession of it. You shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you murdered and also taken possession? And you shall speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord, In the place where the dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, the dogs will lick up your blood, even yours. And notice in verse 21, Behold, I will bring evil upon you and will utterly sweep you away and will cut off from Ahab every male, both bond and free in Israel. You might be thinking, what did Naboth have to do with any of this? It was Jezebel's conspiracy. It was Jezebel who concocted the plan and found a way for Ahab to get what he wanted. But it was God who, through Elijah, indicted Ahab. Have you murdered and also taken possession? He had blood on his hands. He was just as responsible. I think in each of these occasions when Adam gave heed to the voice of his wife Eve, when Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah, and whenever Ahab listened to to the voice of Jezebel. They each abdicated their responsibility as husband to say, no, we are going to obey the Lord. We are going to do what is right. And in each of these occasions, sin was committed. Even though the women might have been the primary actors... They might have been the ones who initiated the sin, but their husbands who were charged with being the head and the leader of the family, they did not stop it. And we have a responsibility in the family to lead To do what God has said. From my second favorite translation of the Bible, the King James Version. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, it says, Quit ye like men. I love that statement. Although I did hear a brother in Christ say that means quit acting like a man, and that's the exact opposite of the meaning of that verse. Reading from the New American Standard, it says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men. Be strong. That is what that verse means. That's what that statement, quit ye like men, means. It's time for men to be men. You think about the attacks on manhood in our society and masculinity. I looked up every definition I could find on the internet about toxic masculinity. You hear about that a lot. And in each of it, it included a critique of toughness and strength. 
that it became a criticism that we teach men to be tough and to be strong. And while Paul was not talking about physical strength here, it does take mental toughness and fortitude to lead as a man. Now that's not all that manhood is defined by. Don't misinterpret what I say or what I mean. Because in any definition of manhood, you can look at the Psalms, right? You can see David, who might have been the manliest of men, who was a king, a successful warrior in battle, who uh, was sort of a ladies' man. He could write poetry. He was in touch with his emotions. Manhood will allow you to be a poet and to be aware and to be able to converse with, about your emotions. It will allow you to be a musician like David was. Being a man will allow you to be a teacher and a preacher like the Apostle Paul who said on a few occasions that he did not have much but that he would learn to be content. Life is not all about money. And I think sometimes we need to encourage our young men to focus their life to become preachers and teachers in the Lord's church. Or guess what? We're going to have a generation where there are no preachers and teachers in the church. Don't discourage that. I was given good advice, I, th I think, whenever I was a young guy beginning to preach and think about preaching somewhat an older preacher he told me he said don't preach because you have you can't do anything else he said don't preach for that reason because if that's the reason that you're preaching then you're probably not going to be a good preacher preach because you want to preach because you have a desire to not because it's the only thing that you can do and that you have to settle. Be the kind of man who could be successful in anything, is what he told me. And then apply that to preaching. Men need to be able to be teachers and preachers. Men need to be attentive and caring and sympathetic and empathetic and show their emotions. Jesus had compassion for people. And so whenever you see that, he says, act like men. It can include all of those things, but it certainly and must include what Paul says, be strong. I would submit to you that in each of the occasions that we looked at with Adam and with Abraham and with Ahab, those are three depictions of weak men who were not strong, who did not stand up to say, this is what we must do, because this is what is right. They abdicated out of fear, because they were not courageous. And it's time for men to quit compromising and being shaped by society's standards or fear of violating society's standards and thoughts. And it's time for men to become the kind of men that God expects us to be. 
And that means that as a as head of the wife, that we need to begin leading with love. Just as Christ loves. In the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 5, in Ephesians chapter 5 and in verse 25, Paul writes here, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Earlier at the beginning of this chapter, Paul says in verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Two ideas here. Be imitators of God. You mimic God. You mimic His love and His concern and His investment in us through sending His Son and His Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. That was how much God loved us. That was how much Christ loved us. And husbands, you are to love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. That means that, husbands, you are charged to mimic God's love in the home. That you are to have this display of God's love in your family and you're to show that to your wife and to your children. That you are to become the, the conduit, the, the way in which God's love touches the life of your wife and your children. For them to see. If husbands become miniature versions of God and Christ in the family, then think of how that would fill the home with love. Just as the Apostle Paul wrote to Titus about wives loving their husbands and loving their children, you think about how that seems so at odds, doesn't it? It seems strange that Paul would have to explain that wives are to love their husbands and love their children. That's what we would seem to think that should be natural, right? And yet here, Paul is saying, you need to teach young women to love their husbands and love their children. Husbands, that begins with you. Fathers, that begins with you. That you need to display love in the home. Headship means leading with love. And that's going to... Put an emphasis on service and sacrifice. Just as Christ came to serve others. As he said in Mark chapter 10 in verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. But to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Husbands it begins with being an example and a servant. That's what headship means. It's not about going around the house and dictating orders and barking out what has to be done. It means serving. 
first and foremost. Learn to be peaceable as we are commanded to be in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. Don't be quick to anger in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 16. In Proverbs chapter 16 and in verse 32, notice here, in Proverbs 16 and verse 32, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who captures a city. That if you are able to rule your own emotions and your spirit and your anger, if you are able to demonstrate self-control, you are better than the mighty man who captures a city. That's what love requires. Headship means to be disciplined yourself and to discipline your children. That's what love demands. In Hebrews chapter 12, in Hebrews chapter 12, and in verse 5, the Hebrew writer says, And you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines and He scourges every son whom he receives. And as he's talking about Christians receiving some kind of discipline here, he says in verse 8, but if you are without discipline of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? And there is an obligation and a responsibility that love would require husbands and fathers that you discipline your children. It's the unloving thing to ignore when discipline is needed. That's what headship is going to demand. That you lead with love. Then you have a second point that we need to see. That headship expects holiness in the home. In Ephesians chapter 5, as Paul says in verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of, of the body. And as in this discussion about Christ and the church, Christ is the head of the church. And the church is made holy because of His work. In verse 26 it says, So that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that through Christ the church, the bride, is made holy. Husbands, holiness in the home, it begins with you. It begins with your responsibility. That you need to become like Christ. 
You need to model your leadership after Christ. And you can follow Christ in His perfect example of headship. Just as Jesus is holy, you must be an example of holiness for your wife and children. And then you need to give sacrificially of yourself to make holiness attainable for your wife and children. It's not that you just go on with a list of demands and you say, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do things the right way and... This is, and you just better do what I say. It's not about just barking out orders. It's not about a power struggle. Because you can go around telling your wife and children that you expect them to dress modestly and to behave appropriately. But if you don't model holiness yourself in your behavior... And if you don't take the time to remove obstacles and challenges out of the home, then you're not leading the way God wants you to. You need to give of yourself and you need to look at yourself. And then you need to give attention to holiness in the home. In Romans chapter 12, In Romans, the 12th chapter, and in verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. How many of us have been influenced by this world and have allowed our homes to be conformed to this world and the standards of this world? And husbands, that lies squarely on your shoulders. That responsibility of keeping it out, keeping it at bay, in speech, in the kind of words that are demonstrated around your house, in the kind of dress that we might wear, the modesty that we demonstrate in recreation, in our hobbies, in what we go and do, and what we say, and where we, the things that we participate in, and how that we conduct ourselves in all of those things. We need to make sure that we are making holiness a priority. And we're going to serve God first and foremost in our family. Just as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, but seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And in that context, Jesus is talking about the problem of worrying and anxiety focused on all this world's stuff. Seeking after food and clothing and riches. Yes, husbands, provide for your families. Work and demonstrate good work ethic. Provide. But if that's all that you're focused on, you're not focused on enough. Focus on serving God. That's what Jesus is saying. 
Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. You seek holiness and you make first priority the kingdom of God. That you're going to be at worship services on Sundays and Wednesdays. You're going to be at Bible study as we looked at all those statistics at the beginning. Make that a priority. Make this a priority. Serve. If you've been asked to serve as a deacon or an elder in the Lord's church or a Bible class teacher or even the person who picks up the trash, serve with all your heart. Because it's not about you, it's about serving the Lord. Focus on kingdom work. And allow your children to see that. Involve your children in that work. Get them incorporated. Get them involved. Show them that it's about serving. That's what holiness is. It's about being useful in the Master's kingdom and in His service. And if you can do that, if you can teach your children that, if you can involve your family in that, then you will be modeling the kind of holiness, the kind of life that Christ wants for your family. The kind of love that Christ shows us is a sacrificial kind of love, and that's the kind of love you husbands ought to have for your wives. The kind of love that is required is a love that is giving and sacrificing. And that's the kind of love that Jesus shares with us in the the whole world. Because He offered Himself for our sins. This morning, if you are not a child of God, will you not become a Christian? Christ died for you. He went to the cross and He gave His very life for you. So that you could be holy. That you could be saved. If you need to become a child of God, we encourage you to make that commitment to the Lord now. Come in faith believing in Christ as the Son of God who died and arose from the dead. Be baptized in water to have your sins washed away. Maybe it is that you have already made that choice, but you've not been living faithfully for the Lord. Won't you come and make things right? If we can help you in some way, would you come now as we stand and as we sing?